welcome to Small Steps Living, the The podcast. podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cordaff, bringing you inspiring stories to help you transform your life one small step at a time. Here at Small Steps Living, we're keeping it real. Kick back and And enjoy enjoy the show. show. Hey everyone, another episode of the podcast and another special person for you to meet. I am loving doing this Small Stepper series with you. And do you know why? It's because every single time I've put a big call out in my Small Steps membership and said, hey, does anyone want to share their stories? And pretty much every single person has said, oh, I don't know what's special about me, but sure, yeah, let's chat. I don't know how I could help other people. (laughs) And the lovely lady you're about to meet said exactly the same thing, but she's actually got a few really great things to share with you that I know is going to resonate and I know you're going to walk away with a few more small steps under your arm. So please welcome the beautiful Valeska Waldron. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lisa. (laughs) You're calling in from where exactly? Um, In a suburb of Paradise in South Australia. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Yes. I live in Paradise. Oh, it's pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) um, Today we're going to be talking about, just talk a little bit about um, your background and I guess when you started to get interested in whole foods, but also, um, you know, I'd like to ask you a little bit, because you grew up in quite a remote area, how you feel like that might have impacted your upbringing and this whole uh, aspect of being an overthinker which is an actual diagnosed thing, which I never knew. And I would love to dive deep on that with you. But first of all, can you just give us a little bit of a rundown of your upbringing? Because, I mean, I haven't met that many people from as sort of, I guess, is it isolated or is it just mega rural areas that you grew (laughs) up in? So could you just paint a picture of what that was like? Sure. Um, I grew up on a farm, so um, I was a farmer's daughter, and we lived five kilometres out of a town of 20 people who lived in the actual town. And the rest of the community, I guess, was spread out over farms, but it could be 30, 40 kilometres away. Um, And we all would sort of come into the town for school and sports. Um, So, I guess really rural is a good description (laughs) as well as um, (laughs) isolated. Does 20 even. Like how could that even be defined as a town is is my question. Like more than well, that, that amount of yeah. people live on my street. So there's a school in that there was a school in the town, a shop which was also the local pub and the local post office, and also a bowling club, a golf club, a football club, a netball club, a tennis club. So I guess that's how you bring yeah, right. it into a town. Yep. It brings everyone from the the, the remote areas together all the farms yes, okay that's all right. right so yep. were you did you have brothers and sisters I yeah I've got an older brother and an older sister um so pretty much two years apart so um I was the youngest yeah um and went to the local school um that when I started going there or probably a bit more into primary school there ended up only being 80 students from reception to year 10. Wow so in that respect pretty isolating as far as making friends yeah, and, and being able to choose your friends. So I actually found that really challenging. I don't have lots of positive memories of school. 
Yeah. Um, as far as the social aspect goes, um, I really struggled with that. I was a bit of a victim of some bullying, I suppose. Um, wore glasses since I was three, so the four eyes, um, <gasps> fatty, fatty, fatty uh, even though I wasn't probably classed as fat, but fatty, what? big bow, big bow became my big bow. What? Yeah, which so now no one's allowed to call me bow. Um, yeah, so a few things like that. It really, I guess, dented my my self esteem. Yeah, even though outwardly I probably appeared confident in a lot of respects. Did you have to do work on the farm and stuff as well? You know, we was it a busy childhood? Uh, it was busy in the fact that my dad was flat out and yeah, he wasn't right. around a lot. Okay. Um, but And we helped out a bit, um, chasing sheep on the motorbike or feeding the chooks. Uh, sometimes as we got older and could learn to drive, I started learning at eight on a ride-on lawnmower um, and then, I guess, didn't drive vehicles till I was a little bit older, but help him move machinery when he was harvesting or seeding, so moving the tractor from paddock to paddock. So he had 11,000 acres. Wow. Um, but it seems like a lot, but the yield wasn't great because that's the type of um, land that it was, if that makes sense. Yep. So you didn't get high yield. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got a few, I've got some um, cousins, you know, through marrying Nick who were brought up in the country. I remember a lot of friends when I was living in Melbourne in my 20s from Tasmania. I remember at uni a lot of country kids coming and they would live on campus or they'd live in the most awesome shared houses. And I always had this feeling like if you grew up, if you grew up in a city, everything was just there. And whereas if you grew up in the country, um, you just wanted to get to the city or you wanted to go exploring and go traveling and and there's always this, you know, bigger life happening on the outside. Is that kind of what it felt like to you when you were growing up? I think so, particularly for me. I didn't I didn't love it, I guess, probably for the social aspect. I'd say I'm quite a people's person. Yeah. And I probably struggled with that. So I did go to on a student exchange after year eleven. I went to the States for six months. And that sparked off a, a love for travelling for me and I've travelled quite a bit since then as well. Quite a bit. You have done a lot of travelling. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went on a working holiday visa to the UK in 99-2000 and um, came back and then I sort of did a, a bit of extra travelling, saw other countries while I was there, but yeah. then came back and um, in 2006, I went to Canada on a working holiday visa and travelled quite a bit um, to the States, back to Europe in that time and met my husband in Canada. He's from England. Um, And then we lived in Ireland for a while before he moved to Australia with me. So cool. I've lived in Ireland too. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah, we we did love it except for we were in the smack bang in the middle of the recession, so had trouble getting work. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the country's beautiful. Yeah, that's 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 bad. Um, yeah, we. Um, I was with an ex boyfriend, and we lived in in Dublin. My dad's Irish, so I always had this kind of um, want to just uh, go over there, experience what life was like. And uh, we had a ball. I got yep. quite large because uh, I was just <laughs> drinking all the time, doing no exercise pretty much, but we saved a lot of euro and then travelled around um, Europe. It was really, 
it was really good. And also to just get to know my relatives and stuff. But so, okay, so you've, you had a very isolated upbringing, then you kind of spread your wings, you found your confidence, um, all of that. But then you um, met your husband and, and now you've got two beautiful children. Got two two little girls. I've got Delilah four and Hazel, who's two. Just love those names. I love <laughs> them so much. Um, so Thanks. tell me, um, you know, when you know I asked you a few different questions um, before we started this, and you said that your interest in food. That you said that it was basically like a meat and three veg kind of upbringing, but um, which you know. In some ways, I just think without access to all of the the craziness of going to shops all the time and all of that kind of thing would be so nice. Um, you yeah, know, in a way. Well, I, I mean, I know it must have felt a bit maybe boring at times, but I think as a as a mum now to do a big shop or to know that you know whatever you're harvesting on your own land you use and then you swap with other people yeah. and whatever, like it's just kind of that's just the way it should really be. But what 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 happened? Like when you were traveling, how were you eating? And then once you fell pregnant with your daughter, what kind of, what changed for you? Okay. Um, I guess actually, probably didn't mention this at all previously, but um, I've gone through sort of the Weight Watchers thing, not that I actually joined, but I sort of used the concept, which sort of taught me a little bit about what's healthy and what's not to a degree. Yeah. Um, but it was all concentrated on I then realised some of it's like on the artificial sweeteners and low-fat, low-fat everything. Yeah. So that was my lifestyle sort of before. Except for travelling, obviously, there's a bit more of the eating out. Um, I still tried to keep to a point. I cooked a bit for myself, especially in Canada, um, just to save money. Um, But um, it's definitely what's available and what's there and eating out a lot. So you don't have a lot of choice, I suppose, in that over-healthy eating. Yeah. but then uh, coming back, I probably cooked for myself quite a bit for a long time. But when I fell pregnant, um, I just became very aware of what I was putting into my body because I wasn't just feeding myself. I was feeding somebody else as well mm-hmm. and um, came across uh, the book Feeding the Bump by Lisa Neal. So in that book, it has recipes and um, it describes what nutrients are in the foods that you in those, those recipes and how they benefit your baby and also you as a pregnant woman. Um, so that really started uh, my mind, I guess, off on the track that what you put into your body um, really nourishes you and can nourish your baby, I suppose. And then from there, once my daughter was born and started solids, I was very aware of trying to start her off on the right foot and um, with vegetables and fruit and not too much sweet stuff to try and lay that good foundation. Isn't it so amazing? I remember for me when, I don't know if you were the same, but if I looked on the backs of packets of things, it was like fat content was what Mm -hmm. I was looking for, like grams of fat for a long time. I wasn't even really looking at the ingredients lists. No, and I was looking at sugar, especially yes, with, sugar. Like with a baby. Yep. Yep. But it's it's that whole, once you kind of do that head space shift where instead of thinking about food to just fill you up or whatever or food that's low in fat but food to actually nourish you and that all of these different foods that nature provides have all these different amazing 
qualities that help our bodies grow and thrive in different ways that then you just can't see it the same again, like once you've kind of gone there in your head. I agree, yeah. And I think it's kind of sad that we didn't have that growing up. Yeah, I didn't have that education for sure. Yeah, and now I feel like, you know, there's a whole movement of of mums, of kids, you know, our age, our kids are similar age um, and older, obviously. There's pe- women who've been doing this for years and talking about it for years. But I feel like there's now a real groundswell of, of women who are like, oh, man, I just want to do this properly. I don't know particularly how to do that. And especially if I've followed things like Weight Watchers or now, you know, we see the different kinds of theories about food. You know, we see um, a lot of uh, a paleo options and we think, okay, well, that's that's the way to eat. Or we see, uh, you know, even uh, vegetarians who have loads of reasons why we shouldn't be eating meat and all, all those. And it can just get so confusing when really when it comes down to it, we've just got to start. We've, it's actually a big re-education process for us to just Agreed. start cooking from scratch again. Yeah, it's pretty. it can be pretty overwhelming. There's a lot of information out there, differing information. So how did you get started on that? How did you sort of navigate the world of feeding your kids? Um, well, I guess it was last year. So I had a bit of help actually with a lactation consultant midwife who sort of helped me with the initial solids feeding. Yep. So um, who knows whether it was done the right way with purees and all of that stuff, but that's how I did it and slowly introduced foods. But then from there last year, I came across um, Jessica Donovan. She did a free webinar yep. and just something spoke to me from that, um, the Natural Super Kids e-course. She's so a I, legend, yeah. Yeah, so I did that um, and that was great. But I found myself coming very overwhelmed with it, that I had to do it all the time and that um, I had to be done a certain way. And so I found that I was getting a bit stressed out by it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when I came across um, your group somehow. I actually can't remember exactly how. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you had Probably through Facebook. You hadn't gone through Small Steps to Whole Foods. You joined the, the membership fresh right. in December. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I opened yeah, right. up, up for the first time to the public. Yeah, so I did a webinar of yours and yep. then that resonated as well about doing it in small steps, I think. Um had a conversation with my husband and decided to join from there and it's been yeah it's been great I think it's just uh, a bit more of a real life approach I think the thing is it, and this is what I struggle with too is um the whole idea that once you know better you do better and mm-hmm. I and I totally agree with that that you have but it's more like you have the opportunity to do better once you know better it doesn't necessarily equate to changing your life around to do all the things that you know now you feel you you have to do, and it just drives the whole um, food anxiety thing through the roof. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I I feel it too, and that's why I kept on thinking, oh man, if I want to help people eat more whole foods, I just got to keep telling them that I don't do this perfectly, and that it's okay for it to take time because it's kind of 
Well, it's it's like we're apprentices again on a whole new job. And that job is consistent. I mean, how many times a day are we feeding our families? All the time. <laughs> There's just a new meal around every single freaking corner. And it's I find it really hard to maintain perfection. Obviously, I've been doing this for a few years and I've got some good shortcuts and stuff. But I think unless we give ourselves permission to have this take time, then we're just going to see it as some sort of new diet that then we fall off the wagon and we give up because it's all too hard. I think it's like you say, it's important to also, it's okay if you do like, you can't do it for a week or it's not as good as it has been. You can then, when your life slowed down or whatever reason, you just start slowly bringing it back up again. Yeah. And it's taken me a very long time, I'd say, to learn that that's okay. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your struggles then with um, with anxiety or depression and, and this whole uh, overthinking Yeah, sure. I was diagnosed with depression a couple of times yep. um, when I was younger and I think that was due to struggling with coming back from overseas and being homesick another time and so um, that probably triggered, triggered it. Um, but more recently, having my children, um, I found I really struggled from birth to eight months, like extremely struggled. And the first time around, I had a bit of help, like I said, from that lactation consultant midwife, and she actually held my hand the whole time. She was texting me. We were texting nearly every day. Wow. Um, she was a phenomenal support. So um, I, we became friends from that. So I would, it would have been a different experience for me, I think, if I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And then when Hazel was born similar struggle but around I think it was three months I found myself getting um extremely wound up and anxious about sleep sleep was my obsession with both of them and um particularly one day I remember a friend offered to take Delilah for a few hours so she went out and um the whole time I was sort of jittery and up and looking out the window thinking around the time she was due back and thinking what am I going to do she's back and Hazel's needs resettling and how am I going to manage this? And it just wasn't, it didn't feel right. It wasn't right what I was, how I was feeling. And so somebody said, oh, it sounds like anxiety. Perhaps you better, you know, do the Beyond Blue quiz, see GP, you know, because I was pretty upset because I knew something wasn't right. Mm. Um, and so from there, I went to a psychologist who has diagnosed me with overthinking and it is a, a part, it is a actual condition. Um, it's part of OCD, so it's not saying I have OCD. I have that component of OCD. And from there, it leads to anxiety. So overthinking leads to anxiety. So that's what I've been diagnosed with. Um, and it took me a long time to start coming around to the idea of taking medication. I tried really hard to just work on strategies and things to make it better. And at eight months, when Hazel was eight months, it did become a bit better. I guess my cycle started again. And so that it actually happened with both girls um, that it just got a bit easier. I was a little bit calmer. Yep. So mine is a bit hormone related as well, mm-hmm. but it was still there. And yeah. so psychologists talked to me about medication on and off, not pushing me at all. But I finally agreed that it was, I would like to try it. Hazel had stopped breastfeeding and I didn't want to do it while I was breastfeeding. Um, so I did did start medication and even though it might be subtle, the difference is has been significant on me and my family. You know, we just have to give ourselves permission to do what feels right sometimes, don't we? And give it a try. Like I can could have come off of it 
so that was my sort of, um, I guess, reasoning that I'll give it a go and if I want, I'll come off of it. But the difference has been significant enough for me to not at this point in time. So so what have you noticed? You just don't go down that rabbit hole. You don't have the <clears throat> sort of panic attacks and anxiety. Yeah, yeah right. So, so before, I guess, one thing was constantly wanting the approval of others. And I think that stems a bit from my childhood. But the other thing that has become apparent to me is I actually had this all my life. So looking back now, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. Um, so I, the psychologist says mine is a chemical imbalance. Some people's isn't, mm-hmm. like it's an environmental, et cetera. So mine's probably a bit genetic, a bit environmental, but also, yeah, the genetic has in there's a chemical imbalance. So I guess when you look at it like that, I am just trying to balance out that chemical. Yep. Um, so sorry, I've kind of lost my no. train of thought with that. So no. you, uh, you asked the question. Well, yeah, it's just, I mean, I think that there's probably lots of women who would put themselves in the category, and men, who would put themselves in the category of an overthinker. Uh, and, you know, I think I I tend to, I can move through things kind of quickly. Like I don't necessarily yes. need to hold on to things, whereas Nick will totally go down the rabbit hole. Yep, and yep. um and sometimes it's really hard when you're like, no, no, no you just you you've just gone too far with this thought. <laughs> like come back. Yes. yes and yes. Uh, um is that sort of what it feels like so I mean yep. for the for the women who might be going, oh my gosh, that's me, what were some <laughs> of the strategies that you you worked on before you went down um the medication route? And I'm sure you still call on um because there would be that tendency to go there, I'm sure. So what are some of the what are some of the strategies? Yeah, so actually I'll just back up a little bit. You're saying, so just some of the things were, um, yeah, obviously, like you say, down the rabbit hole. So it's the rumination on things, on the thoughts, like right. going over and over and over and over. Um, perfectionism, um, tendency to be just everything has to be perfect. Um, that also relates to the whole food. So I'm, I'm able to let that go a little bit now. Um, yeah, the approval of others, um, yeah, and it, it is, I think, just um, also worrying about things that haven't happened yet. So, you, you you know, um, the what if scenario and it just that's when then the rumination starts over that. Like it's something that hasn't even happened yet, but my mind's spiralling out of control about what if that happens? How do I deal with that situation? Um, and then coming up with strategies to deal with a situation that hasn't even happened and might not happen. Wow. Does that yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to I just wanted to lay that first before I then well, no, talk about it's, the strategies. It's good because it's also it's like well we all tend to overthink sometimes. You know, there's all there's there's yes. things that we all get um, a bit obsessed about or worry about and I think you know when you become a parent it just goes next level. Yeah. Uh, but I guess hearing you explain it like that makes me see like you weren't in control of it. You couldn't That's right. the, the couldn't imp- there was an, there was an impact on your life and your your health because you because this um, imbalance didn't let yeah. you um, stop. just stop. Right. So that's when you know it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And so an element of it would be normal for sure. So, you yeah. know, yeah. you want to call it normal. So there can be overthinkers, but they don't, it's not a, a problem or it doesn't get to the extent that it needs medication or anything like that. So, yeah. um, but some of the strategies, um, I think it's um, recognising your thoughts yeah. So when it's happening, recognising that it's happening and then being able to go, okay, I'm recognising this is happening, that's okay, and there's not a need now to, to keep thinking about it, if that makes sense. So it's yep. recognising it, accepting it, 
and then sort of just being okay. Okay, I'm having that thought, that's okay, and it doesn't need to go any further. Yep. Well, it makes yep. total sense. It's it's seeing the thought f- for it being a thought and not attached to you. And once you've recognised it, it doesn't have as much power because, right. yeah, it then you are you are in control of it because you're seeing it for what it is. Mm. And a lot of the time, I could tell that what I was thinking was n- like not real or. Silly, silly. I used to think of myself as being, you know, I'd say to my husband, oh, I feel so stupid or so silly because I'm having these thoughts and I know that they're, you know, but I keep going over and over and over it. Um, So it's having that ability to, I guess, accept the thought but then know that it's not a healthy thought or whatever and so you can stop it. Yep. Um, Oh, we worked on so much. (laughs) There, um, what else is there? That's probably the big one actually. Um. And with friendships, friendships were a big thing. I used to worry about friendships a lot. And so now I can be okay with where some friendships are at. So um, with friends, it was um, either A, not and getting in touch with me as much or they didn't tell me this. That was a real problem for me. Facebook wasn't good for me in that way because I could see them comment on other friends' posts but but never on get in touch or comment on mine. So it was a real struggle in that and it's – now being able to go not always doing this but it's okay to go that's where my friendship with that person or those people are at and that's okay um and I don't have to be friends good friends with everybody and realizing that friendships move on and that perhaps um and creating new friendships Mm, does that kind of make sense so it's sort of the ability now to 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 recognize that accept that that not all friendships are the same and that's okay and that say I'm happy seeing them a couple of times a year or not pouring that energy into it yes and by that I mean energy even into worrying about it or thinking about it or um and doing now I've learned I'm going to do what I feel is right by me as in my actions or my contact with people and I mean I hope that some of them I guess get back to me and do the same thing but if they don't I know that I've still done what is right by me. Yes. I mean, isn't that a strong position to be in when you start to see yourself as your own entity, when you start to make decisions that serve you instead of serving everybody else around you? But it can be scary, especially, you know, with that need for for fitting in or for friendships yeah, validating who you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend once said to me, that uh, people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I've always felt that really calming, that they'll come in for a reason. Like there's something that they need to teach you or, uh, you know, they're just, they're there and you absolutely can see that there was a reason that they came into your life. But they they don't have to stick around. Like it's just, that's it. Then there's people who come into your life for a season and it might be the season of traveling. It might be the season of high school. It might be the season of um, when your kids are in primary school, whatever it is, but there's a season. And then there's people who come into your life for a lifetime and they just kind of stick. And there's only very, very few of them. And so it's sort of always allowed me to think, you know what, it's okay for for me to be moving into this circle or it's it's okay. It makes me feel sad that I don't see that person very often or whatever, but it's like it's reason, season, lifetime. 
And, you know, those lifetime people are the ones you just cherish and they won't go away even if, you know, like it's just there's just no two ways about it and it doesn't matter how often you speak to them. That's right. That's yep. just it. Um, but I know, you know, we go through so many different changes in our lives and I've found now, especially with starting school, for uh, my eldest and kindy and those things, it just gets busy and it becomes about seeing who your kids want to see yep. <laughs> more than, and, you know, you just sort of just encourage the friendships with the <laughs> mums. <Yes. laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think that that's all such fabulous stuff to share because I love normalising what can often feel abnormal for people you know you can feel really isolated in these things like you not knowing like you calling yourself silly because something's going on that you're not in control of and you wish wasn't happening but Mm -hmm. all it took was you know maybe doing that quiz reaching out to friends verbalizing what it is that you're going through for someone else to say hang on you know it doesn't have to be like this maybe there's something going on and I think about that with physical health as well. I think so many of us are just used to certain things, a certain, you know, um, rash on our face or a certain um, pain in our body or whatever it is, or always the um, the belly fat or whatever it is. And often this is just our bodies giving us clues that something's not not quite right. Yep. Like there's something underlying going on there that you can just do a little bit of digging and then go, wow, that has just unlocked this mm-hmm. whole reason for, you know, things being the way that they are for me. And, you know, I just, I love that our bodies are smart. Like they want to be feeling healthy and well as yes. a normal, like that's, it's meant to be that. And if it's not, then it takes sometimes it takes a little courage to think, okay, it's time to talk to someone or, okay, it's time to make a change. And I think getting there before things get really, really bad is the key. Really important for sure. Isn't I've it? actually um, haven't felt, I guess I knew, I hadn't sort of felt normal if, for <laughs> um, for a long time. I, I received um, professional help previously for things as well, um, but I think, you're right. If if you, the fact that I probably didn't feel n- normal, it means that there was something going on. Does that make sense? Like mentally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I sort of sensed the fact that I didn't feel like everybody else or normal, then that even indicates that you've got a, a mental health illness. I think because what is normal for starters, but yeah, that the fact that you need some help to, talking that through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think it's so important. I'm so grateful to you for sharing this um, because I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. So um, to finish up, in terms of food and making the changes, because you were a new small stepper, so you hadn't been through the eight-week program, you just came into the membership and have really, like, you're such an amazing contributor to that Facebook group. I really value everything that you share and it's such an encouraging space. Um I just, it's like my favourite place to hang out pretty much. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and I feel like, through what you've been through, you really also just took on that small steps message. Uh, It obviously was what 
is what helps you to keep moving through your whole foods journey, you know, no matter where you're at. You know, we spoke before we went live and you're like, well, you know, it's not perfect. I'm like, no one is. That's cool. (laughs) We're all cool with that. Um, But it's certainly like you're you're on the path now and your girls will have a different understanding compared to maybe some of their friends um, by seeing you prepare meals um, whenever you can. But if you had a small step that you wanted to offer someone else when it comes to changing habits around food, what would you say um, would be your small step? Okay. Um, (laughs) My small step. Um, I think just choose something. So um, just choose one thing to start with. So whether it's preparing food from scratch or it's preparing snacks from scratch, um, like baking, just choose one thing and start doing that. Because I think once you start doing that consistently, then you can introduce something else. Because I think overall everything's about consistency. You are what you do most consistently. I think that was was Jessica Donovan's Mm. um, thing actually. Um, So I think think that's actually – really true that so just do one thing and then you can introduce and maybe you can start finding space for another thing if you start doing everything straight away you're going to get overwhelmed and like you say you might quit and just not worry yeah um yeah and I have those moments sometimes oh man but um yeah 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 yeah. and I'm just like okay whatever let's just do that and then I'll start again yeah I, I I totally agree with you Um, And I think that what has made the biggest difference for me is to just always, um, like I always think, I'm just going to go back to breakfast. I'm just going to go back to breakfast and just focus on breakfast and we'll find our way through. And, you know, it just brings me back to basics. If I can improve one thing, let's just go back to breakfast. What, What new recipes are around? What haven't I tried? What would the kids eat? And just experiment there. And then you know, it always, then you just kind of, you know, starting your day well does change the tone for sure. But, you know, I'm with Jess all the way. I really love the work that she does. And even although she's a, you know, she's a naturopath and we got her in for an interview in the membership um, to talk about kids' health and stuff because she also gets that it's hard and you know, mm-hmm. that it can be really difficult. But um, I love learning from people like her. They just know their stuff, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, thank you. I love that small step. Start with one thing. Thank you for sharing about your your journey with where you've been over the past, well, your whole life really, and then how you've started to take action towards um, improving your life and your, you know, through dealing with your um, mental health it's so refreshing to hear someone talking really openly and honestly about it. And um, I think that there's also can be a tendency to sometimes look down on medication, that we have to find the natural ways we've got to do this. Maybe it's my gut health, maybe it's this. But at the end of the day, we all need to give ourselves permission to go down the path that feels right for us and to do the things. You know, sometimes, especially when you're in that state, it's impossible to make the changes that you might need to make anyway. And as someone with a a father who is... um, who has depression and will always be on medication and, you know, he does volunteer work with Beyond Blue 
because he wants to talk, he wants to get the message out there to workplaces that there's men, you know, in their 60s or in their 50s or, you know, however old they are. And there's a lot of people suffering in silence with this stuff. And it can be really hard to rock up to a, a sales meeting when you're having a panic attack or, you know, all of that sort of thing. And he he's trying to get the word out as well and reduce the stigma. And, um, and I, you know, I found it really hard when he went on the drugs because I just kept thinking, what? This can't be real. Like, why, mm. why is this happening to my dad? I just, I don't get it. It was a really, actually, maybe I should do a podcast episode with dad <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's a, it's a big thing to decide to do, but it was the absolute only option for him. And he's tried, you know, going off them and then that leads to all sorts of issues. And, you know, as a family, we kind of made peace that if dad was, you know, diabetic or something, he would be taking his insulin to balance out this, you know, the chemical imbalance or whatever it is. And so this is the same kind of thing for him. Um, He's the same as you. And I think we have to be able to talk about it and support people who are taking action. And you, you did that. So well done. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> now you go back to um being in your puffer vest and <laughs> which I very jealously saw um and I'm like man it's 30 degrees here again today in Brisbane I thought the weather was cooling down ah uh, thank you for sharing I appreciate you and um look forward to chatting again soon sounds great thanks Lisa bye For more inspiration, interviews and know-how, head to smallstepsliving.com. Small Steps Living, inspiring your best life, one small step at a time.